Welcome to episode five of the Screen Presence podcast. This is the first part of a two-part series looking at the subject of mental health. Our guest for part one is Jude Spencer, of whom I first became aware at an industry event in early 2020. I'll let Jude introduce her fantastic work, but it quickly became clear when we first spoke that we would need to dedicate more time to this subject within this first series of the podcast. Since recording this episode, I've taken part in one of Jude's mental health first aid training courses, which was absolutely fantastic and thoroughly recommended. There are links in the show notes to all of Jude's work, and I would urge you to take a look. This is something we need to focus on now more than ever. My co-host for this episode is Niall Jones. Niall can introduce himself and share how we first met, but just referring back to the episode with Sheridan Demires, Niall's story does reinforce that idea of positive partnerships and how person-centered opportunities and time can be both significant and open up opportunities for everyone involved. My thanks to Jude and Niall for being part of the show. And here for you now is episode four of the Screen Presence podcast. Okay, so we're, we're here we are with the Screen Presence podcast once again. And the co-host for this episode is Niall Jones. Hello, Niall. Hello. Would you like to would you like to share a little bit about who you are and why you're here? Yes, um, my name is Niall Jones. I've been going to Tate for just over two years now. Um, I wanted to explore some different career opportunities after I left university. I didn't enjoy my time there too much. So um, I decided on film to have a go with that. And with the help of the lovely people at the Go Wales project in Bangor University, I came across Tape. And ever since I set my foot in the door, I never looked back because, as I'm sure, a lot of the people listening know already taper a really wonderful group of people and I immediately felt like I was part of a family with them. So um, yeah, I'd say that video editing is my main passion. Um, I've been able to help out with a lot of different things during my time at tape. Um, I've been editing on various projects. I've done a lot of on-set work, which has been great. Um, some camera work, some writing, um, particularly for Approaching Shallows has been really fun, our upcoming feature film. Um, even done a little bit of acting and teaching, which is kind of crazy for me. It's a, it was a really big milestone. Um, I also have a YouTube series called Changing Minds Through Gaming, or CMTG, if you want to go and search for it after the podcast is done, of course. And um, Tape have been really great in supporting me do that, and they've inspired a lot of confidence in me with everything I've done there. Um, I'm someone who's had experiences with anxiety and depression, social anxiety in particular. I'm very passionate about promoting good mental health and bringing about more awareness. I think that there's there's so much people can learn from taking care of their mental health as well as promoting good communication skills and understanding that it's something that can be very easily talked about. Um, a lot of the time people see it as something stressful and I would like that to change. Uh, such a good introduction. Thanks for those kind words, Niall. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I really, I really appreciate that. But I think, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of your involvement um, has stemmed from your enthusiasm to try new things. You know, and 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 it's, um, it's kind of borne out in the work that you've done. The podcast is fantastic, and your performance in uh, in our in our film is is really great. And to the extent that you you know took took your part and re re wrote the the script for it um 
the more you were getting into it. So I think that sort of speaks a lot to your approach to things. It's great to have you as co-host for this episode. And our interviewee for this episode is Jude Spencer. Hello, Jude. Hello, um, my name is Keith Spencer. Um, I am the founder of Dolly Mental Health Training um, and we provide training for creative industries, um, both for teams and for individuals um, within creative industries. Um, and I came to that having worked in the film and TV industry myself for 12 years. Um, I also volunteered as a Samaritan um, alongside working. Um, and then I had my own episodes of anxiety and depression and I came to realise how important it was that we were actually all educated in mental health and mental illness um, to be able to spot the signs and symptoms in ourselves and each other um, and also know what to do uh, in those situations because I think we've probably all been in a situation where someone's in the office or in the workplace has been a bit off. Um, and most of us just talk to each other about that person um, and we're all quite afraid to actually approach that person ourselves and actually take steps to take action to support that person or uh, confront what is going on. Um, so yeah, part of my training is to try and encourage people to gain that confidence and gain those skills to know how to appropriately take action when we can see that something isn't quite right. Um, yeah, um, and I'm really happy to be here. So thanks for the invite today, Steve. No, not at all. It's a it's a real pleasure. I'm I'm interested before we get into the the sort of nuts and bolts of the conversation. I'm interested in what you were saying about um, your uh, experience within working in the screen industries, and then you you are where you are now as a trainer, and and what that kind of the, the bridging between those two things is you know moving away from working and starting something yourself because there's there's a lot to that isn't there and and um, a lot involved in that process can you say a little bit more about that yeah so i worked in the industry for 12 years um i worked in production um which i loved in so many ways i loved being at the heart of the production i loved being that linchpin um and that person that helps to keep the team going it's a really supportive role i think being in production um, um and i really enjoyed that element of it um but i i really struggled with the consistent demands that were thrown at you um at any given time of the day or night um you were expected to kind of deal with whatever problems were occurring um, at the drop of a hat um, and it was also a really fractured job and I've come to learn that I actually have quite an anxious mind <laughs> that my mind is already wearing at 100 miles an hour anyway um, so having lots of different things that you have to be focused on at the same time um, and at certain points it might be about dropping all of those things to deal with an immediate crisis but then you'd also be expected to pick back up on those other things immediately as well. And it was just so demanding um, and quite stressful that it. I think it definitely fed into um, me having episodes of, of depression um, and anxiety when I was in the industry. And, and when I did, I had lots of lovely people that really wanted to help. Um, and very supportive people around me. So I felt very lucky. Um, but I was also 
I was also not supported in some ways in that I never got the appropriate help. No one said to me, actually, you're showing signs that there might be something more going on here with your mental health. No one ever said that to me. And if someone had, I probably would have got the treatment quicker and I would have recovered faster than I did. Um, and as it was, I went through various iterations of going to the GP, being diagnosed with a vitamin D deficiency, um, being referred to a chronic fatigue clinic. Um, so the support I got was inappropriate for what I needed. Um, and if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, um, I would have sought very different kinds of help. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you're saying about, um, I guess, really how a lot of people who are such strong advocates for mental health have all gone through difficulties first and they've all been kind of, I guess, almost mistreated. What you said about um, chronic fatigue syndrome, I actually had the same thing when I was when I was 13 and that was really the first time my, my depression hit me and I got sent to hospital for a while and they were treating me for chronic fatigue and it was completely the wrong thing to be doing. But for, for the longest time, that was kind of the the patch they wanted to put over it and what they wanted to call it. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around mental health um, and also chronic fatigue. I've spoken to a few people who have had similar experiences, whether they have chronic fatigue or whether they don't. Um, that there's a real lack of understanding about both areas and I think there's quite a blurring um, of that because for, for me my depression was incredibly physical like I there were days when I couldn't get out of bed um, I had severe muscle weakness like my, my test was whether I could squeeze my husband's hands and there were some days when it would barely close and that was my sign that I was having a bad day and and actually, for me, I actually had something to show for my depression, um, even though at the time I didn't know that's what what it was. But I had something to show. Um, but for a lot of people, they might feel that exhaustion and that tiredness or it might look different to them and they don't have anything to show to the doctor or to other people. And I think in a way that's kind of harder. Um, I could at least physically show people that I'm not well, there's something not right with me. Um, and that that was my kind of test to show where I was at on whether I was having a good day or not. Um, and it was very up and down. And I'm I'm sorry to hear that you went through that, Niall. Um, how did you get through it then? What was what was your what was your process for recovery? Well, they had me in hospital for a while when I was thirteen, and eventually, being in that hospital environment, kind of led me to become better because I was off school for quite a while so um, I went back to school the next year but I never really felt like the problem had been addressed at its core so I guess really it lasted a couple of years then going into sixth form again it kind of I started to burn out even more and really it wasn't until I was in university where I was I really hit quite a low point that I realized for the first time that okay I might actually be depressed at this point it wasn't until then that I was able to objectify after hearing hearing other people's stories on it. So um, once I was able to do that, that's when the recovery process started for me properly and I was able to, to seek help. That was quite a long time of 
that's from the age of 13 to what 18 19 yeah i think that's quite a long time of kind of trying to manage something and not knowing really what it is yeah. and i think that's really common um in the courses that i teach there are so many people that will have um those moments where the penny just drops um and you you can see it in their faces when they realize that actually something they'd gone through years before you know decades before or even family members or friends that they'd experienced um episodes or difficulties um you can see them have that moment of realization of oh that's what i went through or that's what they were going through and and you can just see this unveiling of of understanding um and i think that's that's a really powerful thing and and for me that was my kind of realization moment was actually when i did my own mental health first aid training that's when i realized what i'd been going through since the age of three essentially like everything that i'd experienced suddenly made sense um how was it for you Niall, when you had that realization because that's um, an awfully long time to be experiencing something yeah it's it's almost like a perception shift isn't it you suddenly can put everything into context and realize kind of through a different lens what you've been going through so for me it was it was definitely really important to be able to to almost say that it's not a part of it's not a part of my personality it's kind of something that I'm going through an illness that can be treated and something you know you can learn to recognize the signs of and say if you're in you know a, a, a worse mood one day it might be because of that things like that so um yeah it's 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 definitely really interesting that uh, that seems to be the case for a lot of people but i think it's it's so hard to realize when you're in that situation and you know like we've said it can be such a long time before you do realize um yeah it's interesting what you're saying there Niall, about um recognizing signs because i should imagine that that forms um a part of the training that you do jude when you were uh, starting off with uh, delivering training link and linking it to to the screen industries how did you go about um designing that training what was what was that process like what uh, in terms of what the the the, the content was going to be to make it relevant to people so um the mental health first aid training that i deliver um the content is given to us by mental health first aid england so that content is fixed um and approved and tested out by them so it's evidence-based training um so we have that content which gives us all the information about the signs and symptoms of mental Ill health and we we take um, individuals on the course through recognizing anxiety depression um, psychosis um, signs of self-harm eating disorders um, and look at how that might look in the workplace um, we also touch on how it might look in terms of remote working, um, which is obviously um, a challenge that more and more of us are facing is being able to recognise that in our team members when potentially their camera's off on Zoom or, you know, they are 
not engaging in the workplace socials um, it's much harder to be able to recognize those signs and symptoms in a remote working setting um, but what I do with the content that we're given is then I'll relate that content to the film and TV industry based on my experiences so if we think about how we might approach someone who is experiencing or showing signs of depression but we're away on a shoot in the Outer Hebrides, what would we do in that situation? Um, who would we talk to? How might we approach someone? Would we approach them while we're away on set? Um, when they're away from their support network um, and when they're away from their friends and family um, and in quite a stressful situation, is that an appropriate thing to do? So we have those conversations around the context of the film and TV industry and situations that we may find ourselves in. Um, so we also talk about what we might do if a contributor was showing signs um, or what we'd do if we were on set. Um, so we look at the different areas and, and how we might apply the mental health first aid approach to the different scenarios um, that we might find in the industry. It's actually interesting because it was, it was something I was going to touch on at some point was um, a lot of my experience with with tape has involved tape treating people as individuals. So understanding what their individual needs are and being able to adapt from person to person so that they get the support that they need in the end. is. Would you say then that's a, a message that you strongly agree with? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on, Niall, that... Um having a person-centred approach to whatever support you're offering is essential because, um, and one of the things that we talk a lot about is not giving advice. And um, so many of us have this really good instinct to want to fix a problem for someone. We want to make it better for someone. Um, and our attempt to do that is to draw on our own experiences and share what worked for us. Um, and sometimes that's that's great but a lot of the time what actually someone needs is just someone to listen um and to explore the options that that person has in front of them and talk through those different options to see what feels to them like the right solution because for me what supports my mental health is exercise and breath work and connecting with friends uh, and loved ones um, whereas for someone else it might be you know painting and and doing I don't know dancing and singing um, so different things will work for different people um, and different people enjoy different things we're all individuals we're all unique so trying to um, place a, a, a one-fix-all approach just isn't appropriate and that's the approach I take to training to supporting other people but also to the support I offer to companies and productions because there's no two productions that are the same even if you have the same series that is on series two or series ten um, it won't be the same experience so you have to take a unique and bespoke approach to each of those things I think um, so yeah you're absolutely right now that having that person-centered and individual approach is is definitely key to the training 
people might um who are maybe in positions uh who are in a de decision making positions might listen to that idea and perhaps bulk at it or be a little terrified of that idea or think oh my goodness that's just going to add so much money and so much time um what would you what would your response to that be um I would say how much time and how much money would it cost for something to go wrong? What is the cost of, you know, in the worst case scenario, what is the cost of losing one of your members of staff? In all honesty, and that is the reality we're facing is that we are losing team members. Um, and if it's not losing team members in terms of losing their life, we're losing team members in terms of people leaving this industry in its droves. Um, and that is in large part due to the immense pressures that we are all under. Um, so I would, I would challenge that by saying the bigger cost is to do nothing. Before we did this interview, we spoke a little bit about um we had a bit of a chat about what the conversation was going to be and i remember getting quite excited about um presenting some of the ideas that are, that are within your training um and you talked a little bit about uh having people who were designated on set uh to sort of be uh, be there for people sort of well be, be charged with the idea of supporting well-being somebody that somebody could go to um it's not a straightforward it's not straightforward is it to to give somebody that responsibility as being a mental health first aid or a first aid of any kind and you're also you also have another role on set um could you talk a little bit about those those challenges that that perhaps people don't necessarily think about initially yeah absolutely um there are some challenges that come with being a mental health first aider on on set um or on a production um when i train um freelancers I always encourage them to really consider when they offer themselves up as a mental health first aider because it's sometimes a challenge to be able to pair up that role with your job role particularly <clears throat> particularly if you're not supported um, by your colleagues in that if you had to um, go and support someone for an hour and you have a pile of work that you have to do if no one is supporting you get through that pile of work it can become a really big demand on you and you also need to be looking after yourself when you're supporting other people because it can be emotionally exhausting it can take a lot out of you so um, I really encourage mental health first aiders to consider where they fit in where that role fits in with their current job role um, as an expansion of that um, people can become well-being facilitators so um, i'm a co-director at six feet from the spotlight um, and we're campaigning to bring this role of well-being facilitator to the industry the idea is that you would have someone who is on set on shoot on location um, who is trained to be um, a mental health first aider. Uh, they're trained in IACT, which helps them in terms of management skills and tools. Um, and they're also trained in terms of being know knowing how to create well-being and mental health policies 
um, and do mental health risk assessments. Um, so they're trained to have lots of tools and skills um, and have a holistic approach to a production where they can guide a production from right from the beginning um, in terms of pre-production prep to ensure that the production is as um, safe in terms of psychological welfare as possible and that the appropriate supports are in place and they're also available on that set and on that shoot so that if something needs to be addressed or if someone needs any support then you've got an individual completely dedicated to that role so there isn't that tug and, and push um, and pull that you might get from someone trying to take on a role alongside their job um, so you've got someone completely dedicated to that support for and that's for the crew for the cast for any contributors involved um, and it means that that person can really fully dedicate themselves to that we've got um matt from uh, six feet from the spotlight coming on for the second part of this uh, mental health uh, episode um so we'll be speaking to him a little bit more and finding out some more about uh that initiative because it sounds absolutely brilliant uh, I'm, re I'm really looking forward to speaking to to matt did you have a question Niall? um yeah i was wondering looking at things from maybe a slightly different point of view um how would you encourage maybe workplaces or people kind of in the more management areas of an industry to maybe change or be more open in their attitudes towards mental health if if you try and encourage them to listen to people's mental health more and and kind of build that awareness about it because i think there's quite there's still quite a big stigma in you know everyday life a lot of people seem to as soon as they hear the word mental health, they associate it with the bad side of mental health as opposed to the good side. And really it should be more of an equal thing. Um, so yeah, I was wondering about how you deal with that. That's a really excellent question though. Um, I think I would begin by asking them to think about themselves, um, consider their own mental health. Um, we all have mental health. So, I would ask any manager who who is thinking about supporting their teams to begin with you um, and think about the journey you might have been on or the experiences you might have had or the loved ones that you've seen go through difficult times because the fact is we've all experienced something at some point, whether it be us or whether it be someone we love. Um, so I would encourage people to think about their own journey and their own experiences um, and to recognise from that that there is more that we can be doing and there is more for us to, all to learn. Um, uh, and I think that stigma comes from miseducation or misinformation. Um, none of us are taught anything about mental health at school, at least not not our generation of people um i think it's changing i think there is a lot more education now in schools and and in media um that young people are much more aware of but when i was a kid at school we had nothing so most of us don't know and that's not our fault that's not our fault we weren't taught that stuff um but we have the opportunity now to educate ourselves and what an amazing opportunity that is it's going to make you a better friend it's going to make you a better manager it's going to make you a better partner um 
all of these skills are not just skills for the SEP, for being on shoot or being in the office. These are skills that we can use in life and they will stay with us forever. So you will not regret taking part in training or educating yourself in an area that affects us all ultimately. So um, it's it's valuable um, and those skills that you'll learn are skills that will stick you, with you forever. I completely oh, that, agree. That, um... Isn't that brilliant to hear? It's so encouraging and uh, I'm absolutely going to be the trailer for this episode. That's, that's just <laughs> really, brilliantly said. Um, uh, I wanted to ask a little bit uh, about uh, Dolly. So um, Dolly Mental Health um, is uh, the new branding for mental health trainer. So I used to be called mental health trainer and we've just rebranded as Dolly Mental Health. Um, it is... Um, uh, an approach towards supporting people and companies within creative ind industries to be more empowered and educated around mental health. So Dolly Mental Health offers various different forms of training. Um, the core of our training is mental health first aid um, because we believe that everyone in the industry uh, should have access to that support um, whether that be on set, on shoot, on a production, um, and having someone in your office trained to be a mental health first aider, a lot like having a physical first aider, it's that initial source of support. And you would never dream of setting up a production without having a physical first aider. You just wouldn't. Um, and the approach is the same for mental health first aid. Um, Alongside that, we offer um, mental fitness workshops for teams and individuals, which can help to build our own tools of mental fitness. Um, I'm really passionate about the idea that a lot like building a six pack, we can't just go do yoga once and expect ourselves to be strong and flexible. And it's exactly the same with our mental health, that we need strength, flexibility and endurance. And that takes consistent effort and that doesn't mean need to mean taking lots of time in dedicating hours towards our well-being it could be as simple as engaging in breath work um, while we make our morning coffee or thinking about three things that we're grateful for as we brush our teeth at night um, small micro ways that we can build in tools into our day-to-day -day life that make us feel really good and just can help to empty that stress that we all experience from day to day um, and that's our mental fitness course. Um, we also offer mental health first aid refreshers, mental health awareness, um, and webinars around remote working so that companies can know a little bit more about how to support their teams when working remotely. Um, so we offer a whole range of different training at the moment, um, and we're looking to expand that. So over the coming months we will start to offer well-being packages which can help teams if they want to support their team's well-being and they don't really know where to start um, then we will be able to offer well-being packages so you can have lunch and learns around crafting around yoga around mindfulness so we can offer a whole 360 degree approach to looking after your team's well-being i completely agree and you know, like like you mentioned, I think really that mental health and physical health should be treated on kind of the same basis. They're both of equal importance, and I think that's really the way forward. And I'm I'm glad that attitudes seems to be progressing 
in general. Um, what what would you say that some of the biggest changes you've seen during your career in the field are that you've observed in in the film industry in, in particular? I think the biggest change by far has been COVID. Um, COVID's been horrific for the industry in so many ways. So many people have been out of work. They've been financially unsupported. Um, and it's led to um, an awful lot of of challenges for individuals and for production companies and for broadcasters. Um, everyone has been affected by it. And I think for the first time, it's broken down that wall that we as freelancers all put up of, we're fine, we can do this, we can get through it. I think for such a long time, there was this wall of pretense that we all put up because we don't want to be seen as weak or unreliable or unable to do our job. Um, and actually because we were all going through the same thing at the same time and it was really anxiety inducing, it broke down a lot of those barriers um, and allowed conversations between freelancers and broadcasters and production companies in a way that has never happened before and in all honesty probably won't happen since but I think it's that beginning it's that beginning of that conversation which has started to happen and since the beginning of lockdown companies have approached me and asked how can I make my production more positive and more supportive for my crew how can I go to my bosses and try and fight for their well-being? Um, and that hasn't happened before. Um, so for the first time, conversations around your crew's well-being are happening in productions. Um, and that's amazing. Um, it's really sad that it's come from something as horrific as, as COVID-19 and a pandemic. But sometimes it takes something quite dramatic in order for dramatic changes to happen. Um, the film and TV charity have done a huge amount of work um, around mental health in the industry and they did a survey last June around what the current state um, of the industry is and they launched their report in February this year and it showed that nine in ten of us had experienced a mental health issue of some kind and that's only got bigger and only got worse since then. Um, that was before COVID, so none of none of what we've gone through in the last six months even equated. And those stats that are in that report, the, the report's called the Whole Picture Programme, and I really recommend everyone look at that who works in the industry. Um, the report is really shocking, um, and it showed at that point in time that we were in uh, a mental health crisis as an industry, um, the stats versus the national average were much worse, dramatically worse. And it's only got even worse since then. So we all have a responsibility to be doing something, um, whether it be educating ourselves or just having, starting to have that conversation with our peers and our managers um, and starting to be open about our own experiences because the thing that I found was that as soon as I started to talk about what I'd experienced, I realized that everyone had a story to tell. 
Um, and I think that COVID's shown that in a lot of ways to a lot of people, um, but we have to keep continuing the conversation. So going forwards, that conversation needs to continue. We need to continue being open when we're back in the workplaces um, and saying, actually, this is really hard right now. I think we as a team need some support um, and just to have those conversations. And it can be hard. It can be hard to stick your head up, uh, above the parapet and say, sorry, we need to stop here. This isn't this isn't working. Um, it takes a bit of courage and a bit of bravery. Um, but it's so vital that we do that, that we find our voice and find our courage and, and say it when things aren't right. Absolutely. And, and, and in mentioning COVID, I think it's 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 worthwhile considering the long term repercussions, um, because as, as soon as things start to feel um, familiar again in terms of the way that work is taking place, it, it's it's a time to double down on that idea about person-centered support because people will have had experiences that will resonate for generations. Um, and, uh, and that could be people of any age coming, coming because it's been, as you said before, it's been a real leveler in some, in some respects. So it is time to use that idea that we can all appreciate as a platform for changing the way that you approach supporting people. Um, uh, it's been brilliant talking to you, Jude. Um, I, Niall has completely taken all of my questions, which is fantastic. <laughs> Niall, is there, before we before we wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to 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 um, ask Jude now? Yeah, um, I was wondering a big question to end off. How would you envision positive change in the future regarding mental health in the whole film industry? Um, I think the film and TV charity have an amazing framework for change in the industry um, and they're doing so much amazing work. Um, to begin with, they've set up a helpline, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week helpline, um, which is available to all freelancers. Um, they have free counselling sessions for freelancers. Um, they have financial aid. Um, they have legal aid um, and aid around bullying and harassment. Um, they've also set up a peer support network, which I know is going to evolve um, um, and will be in the future, hopefully more more face to face and, and more online um, support. Um, and the training is going to evolve as well. They've got... Um, they, they've just appointed a training lead. So the training will develop um, with them in terms of what offerings will be available that are relevant to the film and TV industry. So I see, I'm really hopeful about the future of the film and TV industry. I think it's only going to get more supportive um, and more open I do think it's going to take a long time. Um, the film and TV charity have a, a five pillar plan for five to 10 years. So it is about being patient, about being consistent and sticking with it. Um, I see the industry becoming a more supportive one to be in. Um, and I think it's going to become a more flexible one where hopefully people who are choosing to become parents won't feel like they have to leave the industry in order to find that work-life balance. Um, 
So I do see it moving in a more positive direction going forwards, but I'm also aware that that will just take time. Uh, I, I can endorse what you were saying about the film and TV charity as well. I was fortunate to be a beneficiary of their free counselling at the end of last year. And uh, it's the first time I've kind of entered into anything like that. And their support through the entire thing was brilliant. I felt heard. And then the service that I received was fantastic. So I can totally endorse what you're saying. They are definitely uh, uh, worth linking with. And we'll put some... Um, information in the show notes to this episode of course Uh, Jude thank you so much for coming on the Screen Presence podcast and being our guest for this episode it's been brilliant to hear uh, what you've got to say Niall thank you so much as well thank you thank you both very much thank you so much it was so lovely to meet you both the Screen Presence podcast is brought to you by Tape Community Music and Film in partnership with the BFI artwork is by Matt Canning and the music was written and performed through the tape project, The Sound of Colour Orchestra. Post-production is carried out as part of Tape's Media Club, a project through which people from across communities work together and receive person-centred training on a range of creative activities, which in turn supports the development of new work and ideas.